Welcome back to another episode of the Ask Investor Podcast. In each episode, we host a Q&A with another fascinating investor here on QuidRoom, the social network where private investors collaborate with one another and with global investment experts through closed-door virtual community rooms. Each episode is recorded live in a room full of investors, and the conversation continues after the recording. So if your interest is peaked after today's episode, you're never too late to join the community at quidroom.com to get your questions in. Now kick back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome, everyone. I'm the founder of Quidroom, the social platform for accredited investors and investment professionals globally find each other. Before we kickstart, for all the investors who are listening in to the session and the podcast, if any of your questions are unanswered or to attend future investor meetups, you can join hundreds of other investors in my personal community in QuitRoom. The invitation link is going to be posted here. Today, we have Liron Azraelant, an active investor in Israel tech startups. Liron also manages a young venture capital forum in Israel, a professional organization that connects Israel-focused professional startup investors together. Hi, Liron. How are you doing? Hi, Pravin. Great to be here. Good to have you on board. Now, I'm just going to start with uh, an obvious one because uh, in our podcast, we love investor origin stories. Usually, whenever we meet with investors, they must have done quite a bit of things in their life. But what we really like to hear about is a turning point in your life that made you believe that, hey, you know what? Israel tech startups, I should be supporting them. I should be investing into them right now. So when did Israel startups and investing to them became your true north. And why? Wow. I think to me, this was a bit of the other way around because you know how uh, like fish don't see the water. I was born and bred in Israel. I, I was fully aware of the ecosystem. It looked very normal to me that instead of dreaming on becoming a movie star, people dream on starting a startup. It was, uh, you know, it's in the culture, it's it's in the school program. It's, it's just something that's really celebrated here in Israel. And then, so when I was 23 years old, I left Israel for six years to pursue my uh, master's degree. So I did the master's in computer science and business administration. So it was a bit about coming out of this environment and looking at it from the outside and seeing how this uh, ethos startup nation doesn't necessarily exist everywhere. And, you know, honestly, there's a little bit of it in New York. There's a lot of it. It's, It's almost like the epicenter in San Francisco. But Israel is just a brilliant place to start companies and especially in deep tech. So I think it was more about leaving the ecosystem and seeing other places where I saw it. That's pretty interesting. So you mentioned that from the time that you're in school, a startup <laughs> ecosystem is being built in schools there in Israel. Is that is that right? Well, I guess what I mean is that if you approach the average person on the street and ask him about you know, do you know any founders, successful founders of startups or what does it mean to start your own company? And even if you ask, um, you know, ask the random cab driver, you would have some sort of an idea and some sort of draw 
to it. It's in the culture. I, I feel like even when you're uh, choosing what to major in high school, it's something that's, that's in your consciousness. When you choose computer science, you know that it's to, to start a software startup or it's just something that around us, around the, well, the culture in Israel and, and from a very early age. There are actually, um, actually next week, I'm judging at an entrepreneurship program for youth, for people who are 15, 14, 14, 15, 16, and they, are, uh, they need to build a business pitch for a startup that they're thinking of launching. So yeah, I feel like the, at the very least, the awareness and in some places, the, the training too comes very early in Israel. Well, that is pretty interesting, very different. Now, I want to, before we go uh, and do a bit more of a deep dive of the Israeli startup ecosystem, because today's subject, we are going to be focusing on deep tech investing, right? Let's kick off with the basic question for investors who, especially right now, do not have any exposure to deep tech. Why would you say now is the right time to consider investing to deep tech start and deep tech startups? Well. I guess I want to divide my answer into two because there's deep tech in general and then there's deep tech coming out of Israel. And that, that I might be preempting your next question here. Yeah. So in terms of deep tech in general, so if you look at other, there are definitely a lot of really great startups that wouldn't consider deep tech, you know, social networks, consumer goods, and they are really strong. There's a lot of them. But when you look at deep tech startups, those companies tend to have a very, very strong moat that oftentimes can't be bought. So if you look at a company that reached, say, 1 million users, their corporate that's competing with them is only, say, a few tens of million dollars away in marketing dollars from beating them. It's, it's a, it, it is an advantage, but it's also an advantage that's easy to, to take away. When a company is founded around um, several engineers' excitement about researching and, and creating this new, this new technology or, or you know, developing something that's better than everything that's existed, corporates could theoretically try and compete with it, but historically it hasn't worked as well. Innovation is hard to obtain and really, really strong founders, and especially in Israel, tend to thrive in small companies and build faster and better in those small companies. And this is why, especially if you look at cybersecurity, a lot of the new innovations that new, that large corporations have brought into the market were created inorganically. And by that, I mean by buying other startups. And corporates are really happy to overpay when acquiring a startup if it brings them a technology that is better than what they could develop in-house. Interesting. So, so that brings me, because you already mentioned about the, about the strong mode. Now, for investors to better understand this, Investors that are actively investing into tech and have not specifically drilled down into deep tech would uh, would usually want to compare and see exactly what are the differentiators on when I'm looking to invest into, in, into the deep tech focused software startup specifically. How can I compare that with the usual SaaS focused startup investments that I'm doing right now? 
is the process similar or is there going to be some kind of difference around it? Um, so it's a good question. And I think before I answer it, I, I want to clarify that I only invest in the earliest stages. And mm-hmm. in that stage, it is very different because what we're trying to see, what we're actually assessing is not how good the company is now or how good the product is, because oftentimes there's no product. What we are assessing is the strength and the fit of the founders to this specific company, to this specific technology. And when you look at you know, your uh, run-of-the-mill SaaS startup, it's really important for founders to have several qualities. A lot of them has to do with scale, with understanding of marketing, knowing how to build channels. A lot of it has to do with the distribution. When you're looking at deep tech software companies, you need to assess the founder's ability not only to be to build something new themselves, but to be able to draw in the right talent and the people around them to create this top-tier team. And a lot of startups, the success of a lot of startups was actually determined not by how strong the founders were, but how strong the team that the founders were able to create was. So, so when you were looking at how we diligence these companies, a lot of it has to do with whether that person is a leader in their field, but also whether they're a known leader and whether they have the reputation because strong engineers are drawn to strong engineers. And this is something that really makes or break a company. That's great. Uh, now that that means I would have to definitely deep dive a little bit more on that, right? So, so if it is a SaaS company, a SaaS company can potentially succeed even if, let's say, the person who is on the helm is not a software engineer, but is good at distribution, there is a possibility. But for deep tech, you need to be at least a bit of a subject matter expert. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. As a general rule, um, I'll say it this way. Personally, at least, I have yet to see Mm -hmm. a deep tech startup succeeding without having at least one, typically two founders coming from deeply within that domain. And yeah, this has to do with ability to hire, reputation. And even when corporations are looking at cybersecurity is a great example for this. When corporations are looking on whether to buy a certain product that has to do with cybersecurity, the rapport of the the person making the initial sale, which at the beginning is the founder, is just so important, sometimes even more important than how well the product is built, the UI, the UX, the marketing. Because if you trust a certain individual to understand that specific domain better than others, then you would also trust the product a lot more. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that. Now let's just look into that a little more from the lens of startups that are coming out of Israel, right? So the deep tech software startups in in Israel, last time you had mentioned that they definitely have an advantage. Now the question is how so? 
Yeah, great question because there are just so many answers to it. I want to start by actually addressing the disadvantages of startups coming out of Israel. And this is that us as Israeli, we're developing a product that its goal is to be used by people living 500 miles away. Typically, Israel is developing technology for the U.S. That, That is the biggest market. There are a lot of cultural similarities with it, but it's a market that's far away. And so in the deep tech domain, this tends to be also an enterprise sale. And when you're you're making a consumer sale, understanding and being fully in tune with the consumers is just number one. With enterprise sales, this is a gap that could easily be bridged with traveling to the U.S., spending a few months there, because you make all sales, at least the initial sales, very manual. And and this is is why it fits better. And and potentially Israel's biggest disadvantage, which is the distance, is, um, is overcome. Now to the other advantages, which I think are uh, just very, very, very strong, give Israel a huge edge. First and foremost, the Israeli army. So when I was 17, I was developing technologies more cutting edge than I did in any later part of my professional career. The army has, so, so first of all, there's mandatory service. The army is the one employer that gets, basically gets everybody. They are really, really advanced in identifying top engineers early on and and training them very well. And and if you think of what the army is, so so of course there's, you know, classic non-intelligent force army, and that's a big part of it. But within, within intelligence force and other technological units, the units are essentially developing tools, tools to obtain information, tools to gain visibility where you don't have it. And this is why, first and foremost, Israel is just really strong in cybersecurity. There's the training. You get training even before you're old enough to go to college. You get this training. And also think about it. When you go to college, you learn about commercial technologies typically a few years after those technologies reached commercial companies. When you go to the army, you learn about nascent technologies, typically a few years before those technologies are, call it downgraded to to corporate. A lot of the new- um, And and uh, everyone gets uh, to learn about it. Everyone. uh, Sorry? And everyone gets to learn about the nascent technology uh, on the- Um, the Everybody on the technological oh. units. So, you know, the mandatory army service, everybody goes to the army. Not everybody goes to the technology units, but I think even, even, even the foot soldiers are exposed to it in, in some minimal way, simply by learning what's possible, learning about how the development process goes. But I'm actually focusing more on the graduates of the technological units, and there are enough of those to impact the entire country because you take and you know i have no idea of the percentage but it's significant you take some percentage of the population and you give them this insane training and and that impact all of israel's access to top talent so if you're a technologist you have all this first-hand knowledge 
if you're CEO of a company, you have access to all these technologies. So it's just, it's, it's just an injection, amazingly talented workforce that has very unique training. But it's not just the specific training. It's also the approach. It's you're 17, you're given the task of building a tool that would actually be used to obtain information. This is responsibility in your hand that typically people don't get before their early 30s or late 20s um, to, to build something that's operational. That's, that's huge. Sort of released into this world with, with an approach that what you do matters and what you do um, moves the needle for entire country. So how easy it is to believe that you can move the needle for, for a startup or a company. So you were talking about nascent technology. That actually brings me, I mean, that, that's pretty interesting. So I'm not sure exactly to what extent you would be able to answer this, but it will be good for me to know, for a lot of people to know, especially foreign investors, right? I mean, foreign investors, when they look into Israeli startups, uh, obviously cyber security is right out there. So people can easily see that there might be, that there are opportunities and they have already seen the companies that are coming out from Israel around that to see the opportunities there, right? Now, in addition to that, what are the most radical slash nascent areas of deep tech that is coming up and that is big and that you guys are actively looking into to invest into? But currently for foreign investors, it is being undervalued and they do not know much about it. Yeah, so great question. Unfortunately, I'm only going to be able to answer it in a very broad way and not a very okay. specific way. But yeah, and, and I wouldn't necessarily call it fields as much as technologies and techniques, because what you learn is what you have and, and the field is how you apply it, because you could apply. So, well, cybersecurity is obvious, right? It's the training, but that's also the application. But think of other areas such as image processing. So within the realm of obtaining information, obviously there's a lot of um, image processing and, and that could be applied into medicine and it could be applied into ad tech and it could be applied into marketing. There's, there's just a lot of applications to it. So our question are, when we look at where Israel is strong and what we're looking for, isn't necessarily what fields are interesting, more what capabilities do you have? And then the next question is, where could that be applied? So cybersecurity, just very uh, plainly getting into networks, obtaining stuff from networks, and then the uh, corollary of it, of stopping people from getting into your network or getting into your endpoint. I think that that's a known secret in Israel. The rest of it is, think about it, you have all this petabytes of data. And it could be sound data, it could be bits and bytes, it could be images. Now it's about finding your uh, arms and legs in this pile of information. And this is where a lot of the non-obvious technologies come to play. So Israel is especially strong in everything, uh, natural language processing and analysis, machine learning, deep learning, image processing, um, storage, you know, fast uh, getting information into storage, out of storage. I'm trying to think what else. 
Well, well, yeah, and, and, and you know, these are technologies yeah. that yeah. are used to manage this data. So big data processing, this is really big in Israel, and, and you take from here into all of its application. So we see quite a few digital health startups, quite a few fintech startups, quite a few enterprise tools. There, there's actually a lot of DevOps tools, because then the second hand of it is you build the software, then you need DevOps for it. Um, and I think those are strong areas in Israel. And this is also where we invest in. No, that's, that's interesting. So now we spoke about quite a bit of areas and I could see exactly how the how it makes sense for uh, for a lot of these applications to be important for uh, in, in US and the commercial element around it, right? So that actually brings me to go a little bit down on the political side of things because again, Joe Biden is visiting Israel right now, right? So it... And from what I get in terms of indications that we have heard, uh, of course, is a, there is a chance to attract more Israeli technology while dissuading the sectors and the ties with China, right? So that means there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely rivalry being being played in here, obviously. And... Uh, the question then is, what would be the direct impact impact on this for investors in the tech sector in Israel? Yeah, it's a good question. And I feel like this is something that, I guess to some extent, Israelis and investors in Israel, it's a, it's a reality that in one way, shape or, or form uh, has impacted us throughout. And, and just as a a bit of a personal story. So we uh, did the initial closing for our fund in May of 2021. So just over mm-hmm. a year ago, the day before the initial closing, we had another um, round of warfare with the, with the Gaza Strip oh. to the point where the alarms were going up in, in, in Tel Aviv, which is something that happens, but honestly, it's quite rare in Israel. There's, uh, you, you know, we're considered an area of conflict, but it hardly ever hits the street. You hardly ever feel it. And we, we were impacted by it to the point that the alarm was going on and, and we had to, to go to the shelter, which for us felt out of this world. It happens in my life in Tel Aviv. It happened twice. And all we're thinking of isn't, oh, I hope rocket isn't going to fall on my house. We're thinking, I hope our investors won't be phased by what's going on there. And, and we go to work the next morning, just really afraid, preparing ourselves for at least one investor changing their minds and nothing. They behave business as usual. And, and you know, later on, we asked them this. And it's like, yeah, it's, Israel knows how to handle it. It, it we were completely unfazed. We didn't even think about it. So I feel like it's mostly, I feel like in some ways that's the baseline, but also um, what you mentioned and Biden's visit and, and there's also talks about normalization of the relationship uh, with Saudi. So yeah, the I guess it's two things. I guess the ecosystem and the people of Israel are used to operating under some called minimal level of uh, uncertainty on the one hand, but then this level of uncertainty is slowly 
being reduced and is slowly in, in our all the factors that were hampering our business are, are getting more and more rare. So I feel like investing in Israel is always great, but it's potentially going to be even better uh, with some hurdles that are going to be lifted um, in, in the upcoming years. Uh, thanks. Thanks for that. Now, I, I want to go into a, a very direct question, mainly about uh, where you are right now, because I know that, uh, and, and thanks for confirming, so you have been receiving capital, of course, for your fund. So if investors, foreign investors want to look into investing into Israel, and they want to actually have a word with you, or they want to actually get to know about exactly the whole ecosystem, how would you be able to help these investors? Sure. First of all, you know, for having uh, lived here most of my life and investing here for uh, about seven years, I, I have a plethora of knowledge. I can definitely uh, help them with introductions. Statistically, if you think of a company in Israel, I probably either know the company or know someone that does. So I'm happy to make myself available for questions and, and for everything. Then the second element is that while we're currently not accepting funds, there are a lot of great places. And, and potentially, if you're an investor thinking of your first step in Israel, investing in a fund of funds is potentially a really great place to start. And we're happy to connect you to some of our LPs that have a position in our fund and, and to very strong professionals that we know that, that also have a strong thesis on Israel and chose to invest in us as well as some other amazing funds. Of course, just adding a disclaimer is not an advice, but uh, it's just oh, a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, but it's also very good to know, uh, Leron, that you are that completely subscribed for your for your fund. Definitely, that is a testament that your investors like working with you, and they have been actually putting their faith with you. So that is actually great, and it was really good to have you on board. And this was very enlightening to give an idea of exactly what's happening in Israel, especially in in the deep tech uh, sector, and. Uh, I'm sure there will be certain investors who will have questions around that. Now, everyone who would want to know anything about Israel, as Leron mentioned, uh, please feel free to just ping her, and and I'm sure she will be more than happy to help. You were you were a great uh, you were great to host, and that's all from me for today. Let's make investments better, one step at a time. For today, let's say goodbye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Leron. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Ask an Investor podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then give us a subscribe. And if you're keen to chat with today's guest on this topic, access opportunities in the market, or just want to connect with other investors who are equally as interested in the sector, then join the guest community on Quidroom using the link in the description. Please note that Quidroom is only for high net worth investors and investment professionals. No retail investors are allowed. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this episode should be interpreted as financial advice. Yeah.